we should go out and specifically find Iro's favorite tea. Ooh. Maybe even learn how to make tea the proper way with like the proper temperature and all of that. Okay, well, baby steps. First, let's just find tea bags <laughs> with that. Okay. And then we'll figure it out later. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of Avatar, the podcast. I am your co-host, Booster Greg, and I am joined by the wonderful, the intelligent, the amazing, the best coffee drinker that I know, Acorn Bandit. I know, I do drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Today was coffee and a monster though, so we're changing it up a little bit. Ooh, exciting, exciting times. I'm still on just coffee but mainly because i'm don't want to go into the outside world and get energy drinks it's scary it is a scary place to live in this episode we'll be talking about chapter 15 bato of the water tribe or as we like to call it sitting by the sidelines that's right before we talk about bato of the water tribe we got some more ang mail we got some more messenger hawk messages (laughs) i'm excited about this this is wonderful so what do we have on the messenger hawk we have uh some tweets to go through one tweet in particular from the handle cobra j12 and they write i just found your podcast yesterday podcast avatar i love the discussions of the writing technical aspects and lore of avatar the last airbender keep up the good work it's short and sweet but to the point and really everything that we we seek to do here on the podcast so we love that it's recognized and you took the time to tell us thanks we'll do our best to keep up the good work well i'll do my best acorn will guarantee keep up the good work me (laughs) hit or miss it depends all right next up we have is a five-star review from tobias Beifong. And it's titled, Flamio Hotmen. Tobias writes, Love this Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. It's very well researched and interesting info on topics ranging from styles of martial arts to architectural influences enriches the viewing experience. The chemistry between the two is unforced and natural. And the way they approach the show from different perspectives allows the listener to appreciate the show in all its glory. Glad to catch this early. Thanks, Tobias. Yay, thank you. Thank you. That's super nice. So fun fact, mm-hmm. for many, many years after watching Avatar, one of my catchphrases was Flamio, Hotman. <laughs> and I would get just a lot of almost disgusted, like, I can't believe you just did that acorn from my friends. <laughs> uh I'm I'm happy you did that for one. So Yeah. Yeah. Now that Avatar is back on Netflix. I just have more reason to say it. I mean, the reason should have never gone away. But yes, I agree. There's more reason. Now it's relevant again. Now it's like. Now there's more people who will recognize it. Yes, exactly. Yes. So (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you, Tobias. And I love how your last name is Beifong. Beifong. I love it. The only. Is that the only last name in Avatar The Last Airbender? Yes, I think so. (laughs) I remember reading that somewhere. The family Beifong. And our last piece of feedback is a piece of ang mail yay and this email comes from kate kate writes hello acorn and greg upon finishing the avatar the last airbender series in a big bundle of emotions a few weeks ago i was ecstatic upon finding your podcast just a few days ago 
Having already listened to all but one episode, I realize it will be an exercise in patience waiting for a new one every Friday. (laughs) After finishing the second winter solstice episode, I have gained enough courage to write to y'all about something that I have pondered over. During the King of Amashu review, you two wondered out loud if crystals could be bent. However, I'm pretty sure that Aang makes a tent of crystals during the showdown with Azula and Zuko in the city underground of Ba Sing Se in order to access the Avatar state. I thought this was super interesting and a point to be further discussed. Smiley face. Hope you all are staying safe and healthy through all this pandemic craziness. Sincerely, Kate. Kate, thanks. Um, yeah, so there's so much there's just so much to unravel in this piece of Aang mail, I think. Um, first of all, I 100% after, like, I forgot about what happens in Ba Sing Se other than they go to Ba Sing Se, and I'm very excited about that. Yes. Uh, so, like, Kate's point only further makes me believe that when Boomy was like, I'm the only one who can bend these crystals, he's just, like, lying. He's, like, pulling their leg a yeah, little well, bit, I th- I think raising just, the stakes. Not just that, yeah, but, oh, yeah, 100% that, but I think he's just, like... Yeah, he's he's lying to them. He's making it seem like it's more dangerous than he actually is. Like any earthbender could actually save them. And that's just yeah. part of his test. I wonder if he could have circumvented that whole test now that we're kind of talking about it. If Ang could have just like if he knew how to earthbend, if he could have just like broken them out whenever. Yeah, I think you're right. I first of all forgot about that scene. You're absolutely right, Kate, where he bends a crystal tent so he can kind of collect himself before he continues the fight. And at that point, he's only really learned basic earthbending. So if it is a special, what's the word? If it's a special type of earthbending, then he wouldn't have learned it yet. So I think it is just a natural way of earthbending. Yeah. And we've only seen it with Boomy and then with Aang. Or maybe the creeping crystals are different than normal crystals. I don't know. Because normal crystals yeah, don't I typically wonder. creep. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> crystals uh, don't normally creep. Well, not in our world. <laughs> not in our world, but who knows in the world of Avatar. The uh, the other thing is I'm I'm actually I'm super happy you got the courage to write to us. And by the way, I know I sound super scary, but I'm only scary on days that I'm not recording. So like, oh my gosh, you're completely what fine. What about streaming, everyone. Greg? I'm not. Oh well, yeah, and I'm streaming. Arguably, when I'm when I'm streaming. So let's say like two days a week, I'm pretty scared. Other than that, you can you feel <laughs> free just to write us whenever you want. We're always super happy to hear back uh, from not only fans of Avatar: The Last Airbender, but um, I feel weird saying fans of Avatar the podcast because it's our show and it's like, you know, like, okay, I'll just say it or fans of the podcast. Like, just just say hi to us, even if it's just like a hi, feel free. Yeah, we don't we don't feel like we have fans. We're just two people talking to each other yep. on the Internet. So <laughs> that's where that's coming from. It's like fans. What fans? Fans. I my fan is on. Yes, it's cooling me down. Oh, yeah. not that kind of fan. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. But yeah, write to us. Avatar the podcast at gmail.com. You 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 guys know what the email address is by now. Yeah, you know the drill by now. You know it. But Kate, thank you so much for writing thank in. You. And I hope that you've enjoyed the episodes after the winter solstice. Cause I know um you wrote to us a little bit after that. So we hope that you've continued to enjoy the podcast. All right. With all of that being said, I'm going to adjust myself in my chair and we are going to dive right into episode 15, Bato of the Water Tribe. This episode was written by Ian Wilcox and directed by Giancarlo Volpi. Waves crash against the rocks as the scene fades to a sword embedded into the ground in a nearby field. Hey, look, a sword made out of a whale's tooth, the avatar exclaims as he picks up the sword. 
Sokka slides down behind his friend and snatches the sword away and examines it closely. Sokka is immediately brought back to the day his father left and the rest of the tribe's warriors as they set sail to protect their home. This is a water tribe weapon, Sokka explains. See if you can find anything else. Katara soon joins the boys as they continue to search and soon find evidence of a battle between fire and water benders. With only a glance, Sokka is able to identify that the water tribe warriors ambushed a group of firebenders, and even though the firebenders fought back, the water tribe warriors drove them down a nearby hill. That was cool. That also, was really I'm cool. impressed that Aang was able to identify that it was a whale tooth. Yeah, that seems a little un like an uncharacteristic knowledge point for yeah, him. Yeah, it seems like a little bit of a stretch, but it's okay because he's yeah. right. It yeah. is uh, a whale's tooth scimitar to be specific and i did find out that it was a weapon that was made by attaching literally a tooth to a stick mm. and that made it a scimitar but because of i guess its sharpness and its size it made it a very deadly mobile weapon that was used for close range combat and it was not only used by the southern water tribe but also the northern water tribe interesting yeah. I, I find it very interesting that there is a southern and northern water tribe and a lot of their, their like, not like lack of a better term, stuff is just the same or similar when they're on just polar opposites of the world, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I know it is interesting. I think obviously they come from the same people, the right. same origin culturally. But then it is interesting how they do share so many similarities when their cultures are so far apart geographically. It's like, how often do they really communicate? And yeah. from what we've seen, probably not that much because the Southern Water Tribe is so small. It's like a very tiny village compared to, as we're going to see, mm -hmm. a thriving like metropolis. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see the actual like why they separated, why there's two different. Yeah, I do think we'd touch on that in one of the episodes coming up. Oh, OK, don't tell me. I want to I'm going to find out. Uh, OK. So Sokka dashes following the trail of a battle down to a nearby beach and notes that the trail has gone cold. Wait, look, Katara exclaims as she points to her discovery, a nearby water tribe boat. Sokka comments that while this isn't their father's boat, it is definitely part of his fleet and that their father was definitely here. I remember being so excited for them when I first saw I this episode. I was like, oh my gosh, we keep hearing about their parents, but his their their dad has been gone for so many years. And then to be out in the world exploring and then just to come across a boat, that is so exciting. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. And I do have a note about Hakoda, their father, because while he wasn't the formal chief of the Southern Water Tribe, he was one of the most prominent leaders at the end of the Hundred Year War because he was particularly talented as a ship captain, an igloo builder, and a weapons maker. And a lot of Sokka's ingenuity and craftiness was learned from his father. So we kind of see more of that here when Sokka tracks the trail down to the beach where they find the boat. A lot of what he's learned comes from his dad, which I think is really, really cool to see explored in different ways throughout the series. Yeah, I also think that while we've seen Sokka be really smart and, and intelligent and be able to like follow trails, this is the most impressive, the most in-your-face impressive um, display of that. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, Sokka shines in this episode. We'll oh, yeah. see later, too, how he kind of proves himself. But it's it's a cool reminder to have just as much thought and care given to building a, a non-bending character like him. Like, he still has value just in different ways. Yeah, for sure. Meanwhile, 
We are brought into the middle of one of Uncle Iroh's famous teaching moments on Zuko's ship as he pours a cup of tea for his nephew and explains that a moment of quiet is good for your mental well-being. Suddenly, a large crash causes the ship to shake and causes Zuko to spill his tea all over himself. Grunting in frustration, Zuko goes to investigate the cause of the disturbance. <laughs> How often do you think Iroh and Zuko actually sit down and share a cup of tea? Not often. I imagine not often. Because I imagine it's like Zuko has to want to sit down and enjoy a yeah. cup of tea. First of you gotta all, you got to get him to stop yes. in order to do that, <laughs> which is the biggest challenge. And then I think Iroh is just always drinking tea. Oh, yeah. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if Iroh is always drinking tea, but like it just so happens to be whenever Zuko wants to drink tea, Iroh is like, I don't know, playing a game of like pie show or something like that. So like they're always off from yeah, each other. Just, when, just by like when Iroh is drinking tea, Zuko's like, I can't sit down right now. And then yeah. when I. When Zuko would be drinking tea, Iroh was like busy in a pie show match or something. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Imagine. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All I can say, though, is I think this podcast and this series has been influencing me because I've started drinking a lot more tea recently. It's too hot for me for tea. I can't do it. But like once I get into the winter times and the fall, like I'll start to like really want to drink tea. And I think especially as we're watching Avatar, I'm going to yeah. definitely I think I'm going to be on there with you for sure. Uh, okay, so back to it. On the deck of the ship, a large mole wolf thing called a Shershu growls as it sniffs the air around it. A dark-haired woman rides on its back and announces that she is looking for a stowaway. There are no stowaways on my ship, Zuko yells at the woman. But as soon as he does, the Shershu rips off a part of the ship's flooring and pulls an Earth Nation citizen out of a barrel that has been tucked away and probably forgotten about. How the embarrassing, Zuko. I know. Got a little egg on your face there, pal, but it's fine. We still like you. It's cool. <laughs> the man tries to run, but it's no use as the large animal's tongue lashes out and paralyzes him. The woman collects her bounty and notes that the paralysis is only temporary and lasts about an hour. But how did you find him on my ship? Zuko asks. My shershu can smell a rat a continent away, the woman replies as she secures her prisoner on the shershu. Well, I'm impressed, Iroh says to himself as the woman mounts her steed and rides away. Very <laughs> impressed. This is Iroh, like, please. <laughs> this is not Iroh's finest episode. I'm just gonna just gonna put it that way. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it. At first, because I love Iroh and because I see him as just like a harmless old man, old wise man who just pokes fun and has fun with life. I'm like, oh, that's cute. He thinks she's pretty and he likes her. But then when I like take a couple more moments to think about it, he's acting this way with a complete stranger. And yeah. it's like, I don't know how I feel about that. But anyway, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get to that. We will. I do find it funny that you describe the sheer shoe as a mole wolf thing. Yeah. Well, I, I like <laughs> I so I don't know if anyone else enjoys my like weird, like trying to describe these like creatures, but I enjoy them. So I just like, uh -huh. to be, like things. So that's just for so, me. Officially, the Shirashu yeah. is a combination of three animals, and oh. Greg got two of them there. Hey. A wolf, a mole, and a giant anteater. Oh, I can see that. That's I really think it's cool. the tongue and like it's the, the tongue. long snoot. For sure. Hey, yeah. two, out of, two out of three ain't bad. But let's talk about June for a second, because yes. I love June. Yes. She is so cool and such a strong female lead for being like a side character. I did find out that she was modeled after the post-production supervisor, Lisa Yang, 
Mm. Brian and Michael even named her Shearshu after Lisa's dog, Nyla. Yes, I, I did read that. Um, also, Nyla has the same characteristics as Wild Mutt in the series Ben 10. That's one of the forms that he can turn oh. into. Uh, oh, looks, that's cool. Looks kind of similar. It's almost the same idea, though, where Wild Mutt doesn't have eyes, but he like it can like smell things. It's, it's like literally the same exact thing. He just smells things. So that's, that's like when, when Ben 10 needs to track something that yeah. uh, that's the form he goes into. Also voiced by D. Bradley Baker. That's the voice of Momo and Appa. Well, he's very good at it. So it's true. It's true. He's good at many voice acting, but this in particular. Yes. It is a little weird when you realize the she or she literally doesn't have any eyes, like yeah. where the eyes would be. It's just fur. But it makes sense because they are known to live underground yep. and they're found in the Southern Earth Kingdom. And so with their highly developed sense of smell and ability to paralyze targets no matter what the size as we'll see it's well suited for both tracking and hunting all right so day turns tonight as we rejoin team avatar by a campfire ang and katara are fast asleep while Sokka sits staring at the campfire remembering the day his father left being a man is knowing where you're needed the most for you right now that's here protecting your sister these are the words that Sokka remembers in great detail because that's the last thing his father said to him before departing. And actually the last time they hugged too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that scene, it's, oh, it's, it's tear jerking. I know. To see like a little baby Sokka. He's like so short and he has more paint on and he's carrying his supplies and he runs up to his dad and it's like, dad, I want to go with you. And then his dad says, no, you have to stay here and then leaves. Yeah. Like, gosh, traumatic. Yeah. And then like Sokka was just like, bawling his eyes out little poor baby yeah. not baby but little boy Sokka oh poor guy oh. who's there Sokka yells into the night something has snapped him back to the present as he draws his boomerang a thin tall man calmly walks towards the camp half of his torso is heavily bandaged Sokka the man immediately recognizes the young warrior and upon hearing the man's voice both Sokka and an awakened Katara realize that man is Bato a friend of their father's. For the longest time, I thought those were just part of his outfit. But yeah. come to find out, yeah, I think he, he was actually injured. And that's why he's at the Abbey, because they're taking care of him as he heals. But I, I think the reason I was confused is because in a previous episode, I want to say the waterbending scroll. When yeah. Katara is in her training outfit, there's what appears to be bandages on her legs and so I just assumed it was part of like the water tribe garb, but oh, maybe, maybe it's both. Well, yeah, I mean, I when I was looking at it, I was thinking of uh, the beginning of the episode where Sokka was like, oh, there's a big fight here. And I just kind of assumed that he was in it and got really mangled or whatever. But yeah, yeah. so a couple of notes really quickly. I forgot to bring this up. When we're talking about June, uh, but June is actually voiced by Jennifer Hale. If that name sounds familiar or the voice sounds familiar, she literally has done a bajillion pieces. So I'm going to bring up the ones that I recognize as some of my favorites. Uh, she's Femme Shep from the Mass Effect series. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Uh, she's Miss Keen in the Powerpuff Girls. In Ash in Overwatch. She's also the voice of Kiyoshi. And uh, she voices Sarah Palmer from the Halo series, as well as Naomi Hunter from the Metal Gear Solid series. 
Holy crap. She's been around for quite some time. That's just some of the stuff that I picked out, but it went on. I was actually, I was scrolling so fast and so long on her IMDb page specifically that I got a little yeah. bit of eye strain. So, <laughs> so she's been around. Yes. <laughs> around the voice acting world. Wow. Bato is Richard McGonagall, who is Sully from the Uncharted series. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is like how 100% I know him from. I continued on his IMDb page after I recovered from... Uh, Jennifer Hale's migraine that she gave me. And yeah. uh, I also found out that he's the narrator in the movie 500 Days of Summer. He is. Uh, oh, yeah. He's General Grievous in Star Wars Clone Wars, as well as Kit Fisto in that same series. And he does like a bunch of other voices, but those are just kind of like the big ones. So, yeah. yeah, when I first heard his voice, I was like, why do you sound so familiar? And then I looked up, I was like, oh, it's Sully. That's great. I love Sully. Yeah. He's the best. I can't get over specifically the Ash connection. I'm a huge Overwatch fan if yeah. no one knew that. And so when you said that, I was like, oh my God, I'm Ash. <laughs> um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Bato does mean boat in French. It's Bato specifically. Oh, okay. Aang introduces himself, but is cut off when Sokka asks where their father is. And Bato tells them that he and the other warriors are probably in the eastern earth kingdom by now a cold gust of air on the beach causes everyone to shiver a little bit and bato tells everyone that this is no place for a reunion and they should get inside bato brings the group to a nearby abbey and tells them that after he was wounded their father carried him here and the sisters have cared for him ever since he turns to a woman wearing a more for lack of a better term ornate headdress and introduces uh hakoda's children and the avatar and that he found them by his boat on the shore. Introductions are cut short as Sokka asks, what smells so good? Bato informs the group that the sisters of this monastery craft ointments and perfumes. Perfume? Maybe we can dump some on Appa because he stinks so much. Am I right? This is great because Sokka <laughs> delivers this joke and we have the same coughing sound in the background from the boomy joke. No, is there? Yeah, really? it is a coughing sound. Yeah. I missed that. <laughs> oh my so God. Good. It's like this like brief pause and then a <gasps> Oh <laughs> my God. It. And then he says, You have your father's yeah. wit. Yeah. <laughs> and the bottom is just like, I see you share your father's wit. He's like, he looks uh, unamused. It's so good. That's amazing. Oh my God. Um, the the lady with the more ornate headdress is mm. the mother superior of yes. the Abbey. And I did find out that she's been over there for 20 years. Whoa. And before Team Avatar appears. Yep. And she took over as the head nun around 90 AG, which is after the Arab nomad genocide. A caring but nonetheless strict woman, she held the position for a lengthy period of time. She was also an enterprising businesswoman because she and the other nuns make organic perfumes that are in high demand among the Earth Kingdom elite. She sells these perfumes, I, I'm assuming at like a higher markup so she can make money and keep the Abbey in operation to help the poor and the wounded in the area. I like how they're just like setting up Chekhov's gun essentially at this point. <laughs> they're just <Yeah>. like, <laughs> hey, conveniently, remember the thing you just saw? Conveniently, perfume. Yes. The scene cuts to Bato's hut, which has been decorated to resemble, I say it's like a standard water tribe home. You have your tent, yeah. dead animal skins, stewed sea prunes over a roaring fire. It's just very like welcoming and inviting and, and just like it looks like Bato just really just needed to feel at home. So he made a yeah. home. Yeah, 
It's yeah. so comforting. And I'm I'm amazed that he was able to make it look so much like a Southern Water Tribe tent or yeah. home when yeah. it's just a room at like an abbey. Right, yeah. With four walls and, and the whole nine. It looks like home, Katara exclaimed in excitement. Yeah, nothing says home like dead animal skins, Aang says <laughs> under his breath, starting to feel a, like the odd avatar out. Yeah, Aang, the poor vegetarian pacifist. I know, <laughs> just surrounded by animal skin. Yes. That point was not lost on me. I was like, he must be mortified. At least it's stewed sea prunes and yeah. not like stewed seal blubber or something. There's no there. meat in it. That we know of. True. Anyway, Sokka and Katara start to ask Bato about the past tales and adventures of their father. Hakoda sounds kind of like a good adventurer to me, actually, if I'm being honest with you, Acorn. Mm -hmm. Like he, he seems very much, he has that like rascalness quality that yeah. Sokka has. But I feel like he has matured and like maybe not 100%. I think he still might have that. I'm just speculating at this point because all I've seen him do is give really fatherly advice. But I feel like he's still a little troublemaker. Yes, he is. And we'll see that later when he comes back into the series. But I love that connection between Sokka and Hakoda and how it's, it's actually really sweet and endearing that a family friend is able to make that distinction apparent. Someone yeah. who has grown up potentially with Hakoda, who's... Uh, fought next to Hakoda being like, yes, you are your father's son. You are so much alike. This is how you're similar. And then being able to also share stories about their father too. I think that's just a special moment. But I do wonder, like, I want to know what these adventures were. Like lassoing an Arctic hippo. Yes, please. Yeah. I want to yeah. hear that story. <laughs> the great blubber fiasco. Um, Tell me more. Yes. Yes. I also, um, in, in my notes, I had to delete this a couple times. I kept on referring to Bato as their uncle. Like, it just, like, came so natural. Like, he has just such that, like, quality to him. Yeah. Aang tries to interject some tales of his own adventures, but the words fall on deaf ears as Hakoda's children ask Bato more questions. Aang then puts a fur pelt on his head, probably <laughs> looking to get some laughs out of the group. Like, it's much too large for his head, right? Uh, but is quickly asked by Bato to remove the piece as it is ceremonial and very fragile. Yikes. Aang hangs his head low as he makes his way to the corner of the room and slumps to the ground with Momo. You know, because Momo is a very sensitive and caring friend and is aware that Aang is not feeling so great. Unlike Katara and Sokka. I'm very angry at Katara and Sokka right oh. now, by the way. I'm very... <laughs> Very angry. I'm, I'm definitely on Aang's side on this one where I'm just like, come on, guys. I know this is exciting, but like the Don't avatar, your friend, your yeah. best friend is like really not feeling great. Yeah. Anyways, I love, I love this next scene. We are brought to a seedy tavern where the <laughs> bounty hunter we encountered earlier is arm wrestling Ryu from Street Fighter, essentially. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's Ryu. It is. He's got the red headband. He's got these even got the gloves, the red, like not gloves, but like, I don't know, knuckle yeah. guards or whatever they're called. The like, and, like white. Yeah. outfit i forget what that's called not a tunic but whatever the karate outfit is basically yeah i probably should know what that's called but i don't i, I should too oh well <laughs> sorry it's fine all right so it's 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 ryu from street fighter essentially and then while the street fighter struggles to maintain his grip the woman just stares at her opponent no real strain whatsoever zuko and iroh barge into the tavern and demand to talk to the bounty hunter alone well if it isn't my new friends Angry boy and Uncle Lazy, the woman replies, <laughs> looking at Zuko directly while Iroh chuckles. Ryu is quickly finished as the woman slams his arm against the table. The crowd cheers and coin pieces are thrown into the air in celebration. Zuko tells the woman that her beast tore up his ship and he demands to be paid back. 
I'd love to help you out, but I'm a little short on money, the woman smugly says, collecting her earnings, and then immediately announcing that drinks are on her. Zuko grabs her wrist and informs her that money isn't what he had in mind. Also kind of creepy. And like when I was watching this, my mind went to Iroh and how he's been like kind of flirting with her. And I'm like, eh. I don't like this. Yeah. But that's none of what he had in mind because outside of the tavern, Zuko tells June that he needs her to track someone and presents Katara's necklace. What happened? Your girlfriend run off on you? June sarcastically replies. It's not the girl I'm after. It's the bald monk she's traveling with. Zuko tells June that if she finds them, he will consider the damage to his ship paid for. When the bounty hunter scoffs at the proposal, Iroh weighs, here's, here's, here's your pun, weighs in. Oh my God. <laughs> and adds that she will also be paid her weight in gold. June stares at Iroh, looks him up and down and says, you know what? If it's your weight in gold, I'll do it. <laughs> that gets her attention. Yeah. Iroh laughs and agrees. June snatches the necklace and lets Nyla sniff it. The beast quickly picks up the scent and they're off. I love June. Yeah. She's she's, she's so very cool. cool. She's very, very cool. I love how like snarky and witty she is, especially that moment where she's like, I'd love to help you, but I'm a little short on money as she's like pulling in this pile she has of winnings. An armful of winnings. <laughs> like she, gold pieces too, even. Yeah. The one thing that she has, so like I do relate to Uncle Iroh on this, where like the one eye covered hairstyle is also gets me every time. And that probably goes back to Jessica Rabbit, if I'm being honest with <laughs> everyone. It's a very iconic, like yes. sultry look. Yes. 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 I found out some of June's backstory, actually, which came from the original Nickelodeon site mm -hmm. that was taken down. Um, this is like way back in the early 2000s. Yeah. But June apparently originated from the Earth Kingdom, where she spent her childhood traveling with her father, who was also a bounty hunter. And it was him that she adopted the tracking and fighting skills that she uses today. And her father received a shear shoe from a rare animal collector in payment for a bounty and gifted that shear shoe to June. Ever since then, the shear shoe, who she named Nyla, became her inseparable companion. And actually, by the time Team Avatar meets her, they had been together for more than 17 years. Yeah, that's crazy. Also, I'm terrible. I'm sorry, guys. I'm terrible with the casting when they come up. Mother Superior is actually <laughs> okay. someone. Uh, Mother Superior is voiced by Amy Hill. I know her from Jackie Chan Adventures. If anyone's watched it, if you remember Toru, who was like the big guy, who was a bad guy at first, and he became a good oh, guy. Yeah. It's his mom, Mama Toru. Oh my gosh. Who's this small little Asian woman who's like teeny tiny, and her son yeah. is just like this ginormous. But she, like, if I remember correctly, she has him just like under her thumb at all times because she's his I mother. remember that. Yeah. Yes. She was also not the voice, but she was actually she's a live action actress, too. Right. So she was in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Preacher, Arrested Development, and also provides voices for Legend of Korra later on. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And we've who was the other person who was from Jackie Chan Adventures? It was Jackie's uncle, right? He was. Yeah, that's right. His name is Sab Shimono and. He was not only the voice of Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures, but he was also the voice of Monk Yatso. So that's right. That yeah. was him. Cool. So yeah. it's it's neat actually hearing about the different voice actors and how much overlap there is in other projects and mm -hmm. even across the series with Avatar and Korra. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's cool. a lot of overlap in between like a lot of these these actors and voice actors. I found probably three or four different overlaps just going through it. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but I feel like they're definitely like, oh, yeah, you want like a quick 
quick one-liner in here or a quick little thing. Come on in. Yeah. Back at the Abbey, Bato tells Team Avatar that he is expecting a message from their father any day now and says that if they wait until the message arrives, they can join Bato and see their father again. Aang looks at his friends. He is sad and has a worried expression on his face. It's been over two years since the siblings saw their father, and he is family. Aang gets up and leaves the room, with nobody noticing, except Momo, again, because Momo is a kind and loving (laughs) creature, and very loyal to his friend, Aang, and can sense that he is not doing too great right now. Anyways, the two walk off into the night. What Aang doesn't hear is that Sokka and Katara decline the offer because they need to get to the North Pole with Aang first. And even if they had the time to wait for the message, they definitely don't have time for a huge detour. Bato nods and tells them that their father would understand and be proud of their task. Yeah, of course, Aang leaves right before Bato acknowledges him. And acknowledges that it's important that Katara and Sokka are helping him because he's the avatar. Mm -hmm. Great Mm -hmm. timing. I really dislike that trope that's used where it's like the character hears everything they don't want to hear. And the second they leave, they go, just kidding. We really believe the opposite of this. That's such a frustrating storytelling uh, technique or trope also yeah. do you know what else drives me nuts when you get those scenes where literally if the character would just say what was on their mind yes. the scene would go well but instead they say all the wrong things mm-hmm. or they can't like express themselves and so it just makes everything worse those are the scenes where i'm shouting at the tv going just talk just <laughs> communicate oh my god and then i'm angry the rest of the movie or the other other thing that drives me, that does too, but the other thing that drives me up a wall is when the character is trying to say something, but the other character won't let them get a word in edgewise. Yeah. That also, I'm just like, come on, just let them finish the sentence and then you can just both shut up and figure it out. Yep, that's the other version yes. of the thing that drives me crazy. Yes. Anyways, uh, meanwhile, a sad and somewhat jealous Aang sits on Bato's boat in disbelief. He can't believe that his friends would just abandon him like this. Suddenly... A messenger riding an ostrich horse runs up and hands Aang a scroll after identifying Aang as a friend of Bato's. I'm going to do this now before I forget real quick. The messenger is Scott Menville. So he's Robin. No way. That's Robin again. That's Robin again. Yeah. Yeah. So the representative from the Ganjin tribe. That's amazing. That's it's the same. So like if you want to just do some some headcanon real quick. What if the scout from the Great Divide got to um bossing say and became a messenger for their army oh my god i'm just reading way too into it (laughs) because we don't actually see this guy he's not like a noticeable looking guy like he's very generic looking let's say this messenger but it is it's still robin it's still Uh, the same voice it's still the same voice and i think we'll find that his voice will pop up again in this series at least once more okay i think i have a feeling so yeah so the messenger gives him this map right and ang looks at it and he realizes that this map is the location of Katara and Sokka's dad. Yeah. So he kind of looks at it for a moment and then he thinks he realizes what this means in terms of like him being abandoned and is going to stay abandoned because now they know where his father is and he's going to be all alone. Yeah. Cause he left at the wrong time. Right. Exactly. So he's still in this headspace of like, my friends are going to leave me and now for sure they're going to leave me. So he crumples up the paper and hides it in his robes. Not a shiny Not a moment. Look. Not a good look no. for our avatar. Aang then returns to his friends, acting a little too suspicious and apologizing for being gone for so long. And just to really just like 
just, <laughs> just to like rub the salt in the wound a little bit more. Katara's just like, I didn't even notice you left. Yeah. She did not realize, but that is the last thing you need to, you need to say yeah. to Aang right now. Yeah. Aang doesn't really seem to take it like too hard, though, because he just kind of sits down, takes a big bite of sea prunes, immediately spits it out, and then takes another big bite. And it's just like, this is delicious. This is great. Mm-mm-mm. The next morning, June, Zuko, and Iroh arrive at the Herbalist Institute and tell the herbalist that Aang met up with a few episodes ago. Yep. And she's actually in the ruins of Taku. So we're seeing Taku again. So they, they roll up and they announce that they're looking for someone. And the herbalist goes, I hope it's not Miyuki. Did you get in <laughs> trouble with the Fire Nation again? And then Miyuki just kind of like meows, pauses for a brief moment. And then like Homer Simpson backs up into the <laughs> into the to the uh, hedges behind him. Which makes me wonder, how did she get in trouble with the Fire Nation the, in the first, first time? Place? And we're assuming that it's only been twice. Right. True. I'd like to think that Miyuki consistently just causes trouble for the Fire Nation. I want to see that side series. I want to see that. Absolutely. Even if it's just like a five minute short of just what is this cat doing all the time? What are the misadventures of Miyuki? I know. I Oh, I wonder if it's the scouts that sit yeah. in the tree that see Aang running at super speed. I wonder if Miyuki is just tormenting them all the time. That'd be hilarious without like meaning to. It's just one of those cat things where she just blunders her way through things and makes things harder for everyone. Oh, I, I think she means to. I think that'd be even funnier <laughs> if it's just like a purposeful, like just sits there and just like cuts a rope like very slowly and is like, no, don't cut that and just keeps on oh cutting. My gosh. Anyways, the Avatar has been through here. June informs the group and they all take off. They all just run away again. Mm-hmm. Aang is feeding Appa back at the Abbey, bending the air to move the hay in front of his old friend. When the map falls out of his robes, Mother Superior picks up the crumpled piece of paper and tells Aang that she knows exactly what he did and he should be ashamed of himself. This causes Aang to pause for a moment, kind of a little nervous, and then she continues to say, littering is a shameful act. Aang apologizes and takes the paper and is relieved that his betrayal hasn't been discovered and quickly hides the map in his robes again. Yeah, this is such a hall monitor moment for her. He drops it on the ground like half a second after it hits the ground. It's like, I caught you red handed littering (laughs) in the Abbey. It's like, where'd you come from? (laughs) That's her job. She has one job. She's going to do it right. Catching litterers. Yeah, right. Make money. Catch litterers. Yes. Shortly after, Katara, Aang, Sokka and Bato are walking towards Bato's ship. We learn that the ship was built by Bato's father and is important to him. Aang sees ostrich horse tracks from the night before and quickly disposes of the evidence by airbending them away. Not noticing his friend's act, Sokka asks Bato if this was the boat that Bato's father took him ice dodging in. Yep, it's got... I'm going to do my best Sully impressions too because we already got my old lady impression. (laughs) Yep, it's got the scar to prove it. Bato then asks about Sokka's ice dodging stories but finds out that Hakoda left before... I, I say finds out, but he remembers really. That Hakoda yeah. did leave before Sokka was of age to do so. Oh. Yeah. Instead of explaining about the rite of passage that happens in the water tribe, Bato tells the group that they can find out for themselves. Zuko is closing in on the Avatar's location as the group arrives at Makapu Village. While the town citizens flee in terror, Aunt Wu seems to be expecting the group. Typical Aunt Wu. Uh-huh. This part I love. I think it's very cute. Aunt Wu kind of flirts with Iroh and just be like, hey, handsome, do you want your fortune told? I love it. I, wa- I ship, I I ship love Aunt this. Wu. 
I ship so Ooh. much. Yeah. I, yeah. the them two got together somehow, please. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, but probably fun. Not. even like, even like casually dating, you know, just for companionship and fun. I would ship oh, that. Can you imagine a game of pie show between the two? Oh, because like that'd be good. Iroh is just really good at the game, and he he kind of has some foresight abilities as well, a little bit just through like wisdom. And Atmu yeah. is just a psychic, so yeah. I want to see that game. Anyways, Iroh goes on to say, "At my age, there's really only one big surprise left, and I just as soon leave it a mystery." Well said. Well, well said, said Iroh. And that makes her even more interested in him. I'm reading it too much into it. I know. I think, but ah. like. I feel like she's just like, ooh, I'm intrigued. I, I honestly love this little like nostalgia tour that they're yeah, taking where they're kind of catching up to everywhere that we've been in the series, which is especially interesting since in the original plans, the Blue Spirit was going to be the last episode. Yeah. So this episode, which comes directly after the Blue Spirit, they're like almost doing a little recap of where they've been in the Earth Kingdom. That's right. Not it's everywhere, ve- but like the last couple places. It's very cleverly done too. And yeah. it, it doesn't leave you like annoyed like a, I don't know, like a clips episode would where you're just like, oh, I've mm-hmm. seen this clip, whatever. This is just like, okay, this is kind of bringing up the speed. This is the past couple episodes. You're off now. And they yeah. do something very similar again, much later in the series, I remember. And I can't wait for mm. that episode. I'm very excited about that episode. It's especially kind of touching on what you just said. It's especially yeah. cool to see it through their eyes. Because yes. it's one thing for the Avatar and friends to visit and another for this sheer shoe beast and a mercenary and an old man and the fire prince yeah. <laughs> to come to these places. It's also like, I don't know, for whatever reason, all these episodes just feel so long ago. Yeah. So we're watching it week by week, which is like the way the show is kind of designed to be viewed. Right. So it does like that we're doing it. Like if we binged this, I don't think it would have had that same like impact of, wow, this has been a really long time. There's been a lot of growth. Even just one episode ago, there's been so much growth. That's a great point. And I think that's the redeeming quality to watching it this way. So Mm -hmm. shout out to all of our listeners who are pacing themselves alongside with us. There's a little piece of value for you. We see you and thank you for waiting with us. Yes. Anyways, back in the water with team avatar. Bato explains that ice dodging is a ceremonial test of wisdom, bravery, and trust. In their village, ice dodging was done by weaving a boat through fields of icebergs. Since there is no ice on this coast, the group will be using the jagged rocks that are coming out of the water on the shore. After giving guidance on what each member of the group should do, Bato sits down and informs them that he can no longer help them. From this moment on, they pass or fail on their own. Yeah. This is really cool. I love that Hakoda did this for Sokka. And I don't know if we mentioned it, but the ice dodging uh, ceremony is done when a tribe member reaches the age of 14. Yeah. So that was Sokka was 12, I think. Yeah, he's 15. And so Hakoda has been gone for two years. Okay. So he was was 13. 13. Okay. I wasn't so far off. So he was 13 when his father left. He just missed it. Yeah. Just missed it. Jeez. Maybe even by a couple months. Like, who knows? Yeah. So after successfully weaving through the protruding rocks, the boat comes up to a wall of these rocks that are so close together, the boat can't possibly fit. Even Bato is worried and advises them to turn back. But Sokka jumps into action and tells his sister to bend as much water as possible between the boat and the rocks and for Aang to bend air directly into the sail. 
Uh, the next moment is quite intense as the water slowly rises and the boat safely rides that water over the rocks and into safety. So cool. It's it's really a true sign of Sokka's skills. I mean, he he looked at the situation and used his critical thinking and mm-hmm. the tools available to him to get through it. It was super smart yeah. and resourceful to use the bending of Katara and Aang. Also a little stubborn. Where he yeah, was just he like, does kind of like put his mind to things and is like, nope, we're going to do this. I'm not yeah. done. Yeah. Like he like his his trial was done at that point. Bato says so. He's like, you've proven yourself. It's fine. He goes, no, no, no. I got this. Yeah. Sokka lets out a huge sigh of relief because they did it. Upon their success, Bato completes the ritual by appointing everyone their marks based on the acts on the ship. Sokka gets the mark of the wise, which kind of looks like a third eye on his forehead. I found that very interesting. So it's like mm-hmm. it's like a, a arch with a, like a circle underneath it. Yeah. Katara gets the mark of the brave, which is a shape of a crescent moon, which is kind of creepy considering what goes with what happens with Sokka later. But I don't want to get into that right now. Ooh, yeah. Aang, just to really rub this in even more, just get more <laughs> salt on the new wound. And he gets the mark of the trusted, which is like, a, I call it a Simba-like smudge from the Lion King. When Rafiki is just it like, is very Simba. Much like that. Yeah, yeah. It reminded <laughs> me very much of that. Aang immediately feels guilty, wipes the mark away and tells the group that he cannot be trusted. When Katara asks, what the heck are you talking about? Aang reveals that he's been hiding the map with their father's location this whole time. When Aang tries to explain himself, he is interrupted by an outraged Sokka who tells the Avatar that he can go to the North Pole by himself. Ouch. Katara takes a moment to reflect, but follows her brother. She is heartbroken by the betrayal. Something I do want to note is that Bato does try to calm Sokka down for just a moment, but steps aside. Yeah, I noticed that. So this, I thought, was very similar to the trial they just did. How real life is approached. So an adult figure or a father figure will take you only so far, but it's really up to you to kind of go the rest of the way. Uh, Bato, when he was on the boat with them, telling them like, he pretty much told them what to do. He goes, Katara, you do this. Sokka, you do this. Aang, you do this. All right, I'm done. He does that mm-hmm. here again. He's just like, hey, but... And then Sokka kind of just goes off and goes, all right, this is this is your call. This is your life. I'm here. Yeah. Wow. That's I love that because it shows how Bato is aware of the learning opportunities in life and how mm-hmm. just like the ice dodging ceremony or test, this is another way for Sokka and Katara to learn. But man, if Aang didn't feel rejected yeah. and let and left behind before. Yeah. Oh, he definitely does now. And also what's terrible is I learned that if someone from outside the Southern Water Tribe participates in this ritual, they can receive recognition as an honorary member of the tribe. So by helping and receiving his mark of the trusted, Aang was about to be almost initiated into the tribe as an honorary member. Yeah, that's so true. that's ooh, in an episode about family and yep. acceptance and inclusion. That's also kind of like a big slap in the face. Yeah, they have this big like fight, the argument. They go back to the Abbey and Team Avatar is kind of collecting their own respective belongings as they split up. Katara, Sokka and Bato travel by foot and Aang jumps on Appa and realizes how big his mistake was. I'm an idiot, Momo, Aang says out loud as he watches his friends walk away. Again, Momo stays with Aang because Momo is a good friend. 
<laughs> and realizes that people make mistakes. Momo uh-huh. the wise. That's what I say. Give it <laughs> Sokka. Give that to Momo. Anyways. Momo the loyal. So this next part has to be like hours later. They don't really say, but it has to be because the Shershu barges into the Abbey, like busts in the door and sniffs around. We're getting close. June tells the group as she whips the Shershu back onto the trail. But it's like the next scene. It was very like, that's the only drawing part of this episode. I was like, but they were yeah. just there. Okay, whatever. While walking the trail to their father, Katara hears a wolf off in the distance. Bato says that the wolf is not injured, but separated from its pack and that he understands its pain because he was left behind when he was injured. Oh, I know that wolf is Bato and Bato is that wolf. Oh, yeah. Upon hearing Bato's words, Sokka remembers the exact same feeling when he was left behind as a child and stops in his tracks. He slowly turns around and tells Bato and Katara that they need to go back for Aang. He wants to see his father, but helping Aang is where they are needed most, and Katara agrees. Bato tells the siblings that he knows their father will understand, and that he would be proud of them for making such a tough decision. Bato gives them the map to their father's location, as he now knows the way and doesn't need it anymore. Bato will leave a message at the rendezvous point as well. That's such a beautiful moment. I think it's so understated, but actually hearing you read it and also thinking about what happened there, Bato related to the loneliness of the wolf and Sokka related to the loneliness of his father leaving. And through experiencing those two things, the current event and his memory, he realizes, I don't want Aang to feel like that. I don't want him to feel abandoned and lonely, which is kind of how he's been feeling this whole episode. But when it really counted, Sokka realized that and he and Katara went back to help him. So I love that. I know. I think what it comes down to is it's a great way of showing motivation through mm. intangible things, yeah. through symbolism and memory. Mother Superior catches up with Aang on the beach with Bato's boat. She tells the Avatar that he must leave. Aang thinks that she wants him gone because he is a disgrace and she quickly proves otherwise (laughs) when she tells him that Zuko was just at the Abbey uh, along with a scary looking woman. And uh, she doesn't mention Iroh, though. I found that interesting. She's like, yeah, beast and a scary woman and a boy with a scar over his eye. And that's it. Well, because Iroh's (laughs) just been in the background this whole episode, like mooning over June and like smirking and smiling. It's a fair point. So yeah, he's like, these people are here. They're looking for you. You got to leave for your own safety. She then goes on to explain that the beast was using the scent of a necklace to follow him and realizes that this would lead danger right to his friends. Yeah. And it does. In the very next scene, Sokka and Katara are ambushed by June and Zuko and Iroh. Don't forget about Iroh. June makes a remark that she's not surprised that Katara left him since she so june goes is this your girlfriend i'm not surprised that she left you she's much too pretty for you (laughs) zuko ignores the comment and demands the location of the avatar Sokka tells him that they split up and that he's long gone how stupid do you think i am zuko asks pretty stupid Sokka says with a (laughs) smirk and then grabs his sister and yells run but they don't make it very far be uh, before they are paralyzed by nyla's tongue nyla uh, picks up ang's scent from a map that falls from Sokka's backpack. It was stuffed in Aang's shirt the whole time. So it definitely mm-hmm. smells like Aang and tracks him back to the Abbey. I have a theory 
Yeah. That this is the moment where the Zutara ship was born. When June is like, oh, so this is your girlfriend. No wonder she left. She's much too pretty for you. Yes, I think I, I agree think with you. Now it's a possibility. Zuko and Katara could be together. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So we're back at the Abbey. The front gate. So this is really funny because the front gate is like kind of being propped up by like pieces of wood and kind of put back together, but not. And then Nyla just like runs and just storms right back in, destroying the door even more to the Abbey and starts to sniff around in circles. Zuko is kind of just like, what the heck's going on? He's not working. We're just walking in circles. And then we see everything through uh, Nyla's point of view. And we notice that Aang has been flying on his glider around just to kind of, um, I don't know, confuse the beast, essentially. Mm -hmm. So when Nyla looks up, Aang drops down and kind of just con not confuses, but like throws like disorients. Yeah. Like I was going to say, it throws off balance, right? So the Shershu kind of throws everyone off of its back including Katara and Sokka. Yeah, who are and knocked out. So yeah, so then like Zuko jumps into action and Zuko and Aang squares off and they're pretty evenly matched in this fight. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of going blow for blow uh, and then they eventually just do like almost like a small mushroom cloud type of situation, that, like an explosion, and they both get yeah. knocked onto uh, opposing rooftops. Yeah, I love seeing bending battles. I, yes. I realized watching this scene that that's one of my favorite things about this show is because they're just animated so well. Yes. The two different styles going at it. And I realize also that we don't see very much of that in season one. There's a couple battles sprinkled throughout, but we really see more bending in seasons two and three. And I am looking forward to that so much. Also, a final note about the Abbey, because in this sequence where they're all kind of coming together and fighting each other, we see a lot more of the Abbey's layout. And so I wanted to say that I did find out the Abbey is located near the shores of the Mose Sea, which is in the northwestern part of the Earth Kingdom. But the building is over 400 years old. And it has a basic design because, you know, you see how it has a large courtyard where the nuns make their perfume and it has like high walls. Apparently, to help the nuns live in solitude, none of the rooms have windows facing outward. Yeah. So I think they all face towards the courtyard. And there's only one entrance and exit, which is that big gate at the front. That's yeah. got to keep focus on their task at hand. Yeah. I think structurally... Yeah. It would support that. Yeah, for sure. But with it being situated in the Earth Kingdom, the nuns had to kind of claim it as neutral grounds, which makes sense being a religious location. Mm -hmm. But because of that, it wasn't attacked during the Hundred Year War, but a lot of the Fire Nation battles took place in the surrounding area. And so at some points in time, the Abbey did uh, suffer collateral damage. Yeah. I can imagine they must be multi-talented, not only making perfumes, but essentially rebuilding if anything gets destroyed. Oh, yeah. Unless there's that like one random like handyman that they hire that's like, I don't know, a hermit in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Anyway, anyways, the Shershu gets up only to be thrown into the wall behind by Appa. Aang and Zuko square off only to be evenly matched and knocking themselves out for a moment on opposite rooftops of the Abbey. Iroh rushes over to June and wakes her up, pleased with himself. June whips the Shershu back into action and Nyla starts to fight Appa again. This time using its tongue, it stuns Appa who falls from the sky and gets back up after 
less than a second. The two beasts dash at each other and Appa wins the charge. It's interesting to see not only Appa fighting yeah. using his size and his airbending here, yep. but also to see how powerful the sheer shoe toxin is because yes. it hits him once and he kind of goes down for a couple seconds and then gets back up again over the course of this whole fight. It only takes maybe two or three more times to like incapacitate him. And Op is huge. Yes. So that's really impressive. Yeah, for kind sure. Kind of on that note, actually, I did read that the sheer shoe saliva contains powerful toxins, obviously, because that's how they incapacitate people. Right. Um, but it also makes the toxin highly valuable. And so it was used in the production of paralyzing darts hmm. across the country or across the world. Mm -hmm. And also from before the time of Avatar Kyoshi, sheer shoes were used by earth monarchs to execute their political enemies. But the creature stopped being seen in the wild at least a generation before Kyoshi was born and thus faded into legend. Interesting. Nyla might be a rare sheer shoe because they're not as prevalent, I guess. We're going to see more about that thing I just talked about because that was a reference from the Kyoshi books. Mm -hmm. And so we might learn a little bit more about all of Hopefully. that. Hopefully. I'm excited for this. I'm very excited. But I'm a very slow reader, everyone. So. Oh, no. You've been warned. Anyways, Aang wakes up on the roof, and as he lifts his head, he sees Zuko running right at him, sending a fire blast directly for his head. Aang jumps into the air. Zuko sends a fire blast at Aang's feet. Aang jumps up and sends an airbending blast right at Zuko. When Aang lands, Zuko sends a fire blast at him, but Aang uh, uses an air shield to stop it. The Avatar gets up and sends a stream of air at Zuko, sending him to an abbey corner tower. Aang runs towards Zuko and attacks him with an air blast, but Zuko jumps off the roof and the Shershu jumps onto the roof. So they swap places there for those of you keeping track at home <laughs> and is now chasing the young airbender as Aang runs. It's very like, it's very fast. I was like, oh, geez. What, 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 what. Yeah, it really is. It's a complicated scene. There's, yeah. there's Appa, there's Nyla, there's June, there's Zuko, mm -hmm. and there's mm -hmm. Aang. And they're all just flying all over the place across this courtyard. As Aang runs away from Nyla, Appa uses his tail to send an air blast at the roof. Appa's like a tank of just air bending. And I love yes, it. Yes, he is. As soon as Sokka starts to regain feeling from his paralysis, the debris from Appa's air bending blast lands on him. Ow, he says under his breath. <laughs> Aang is trying to get an advantage on the Shershu and jumps from the rooftops to the courtyard. And while the beast is right on his tail, Appa tries to provide cover fire, essentially, with his airbending blasts. Meanwhile, if you're listening to all this play-by-play -play and you're wondering what Iroh is doing right now, he's smelling perfume bottles and then stealing them. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, well, a bottle. He steals a bottle of perfume. Iroh is in rare form this episode. He barely says anything, but he yep. flirts with June. He mm -hmm. steals perfume and is mm -hmm. otherwise just so laissez-faire. It's just yeah. like, whatever, I'm yeah. here. Cut back to Aang landing by a well as Zuko sends three firebending blasts. Aang jumps to the other side of the well to dodge them. Zuko sends another fire blast at him. And at this point, Aang kind of like ducks and notices that Zuko is carrying Katara's necklace on his wrist. Yeah. You've got something I want, Aang says to his opponent as he takes evasive action using the well's awning almost to evade the fire blast from the prince. So it's very similar to what we saw Zuko doing as the blue spirit. 
with the oh, ceiling. True. And it kind of makes sense that Zuko recognizes this tactic and he knows how to stop it from being used. And that's just get rid of the cover <laughs> that is being provided. So he does that. And the two kind of both jump on either side of the well and start going blow for blow again. And then in one movement, Aang manages to take the necklace back, knock Zuko off the well and dive into the well head first. Zuko like kind of scrambles to his feet and jumps up to the well and unleashes a pretty big fire blast, but is dwarfed to what Aang does next because he just gets all of the water in the well and just like water bends it up and it just like annihilates that blast yeah, completely. It's like a geyser. And yeah. then and then yeah. he jumps out and lands and holds this pose while it, the water rains down it's around the him. superhero landing. What a cool guy moment, right? And then like a moment later, Zuko lands right behind him in almost like a comedic fashion. Because like he goes blasting up and you're just like, <laughs> where did Zuko go? And he just flops right behind. Yeah, um, he like Aang. pancakes into yeah. the ground behind him. So then actually Zuko isn't out for too long because he launches and tries to kind of attack Aang again. Appa tries to stop the attack, but is overcome by several tongue whips and is finally paralyzed. Like yep. just out for the Takes count. him out. Finally. In the midst of battle and now recovered, Sokka hatches a plan. Sokka notices that Nyla sees with its nose. So he suggests that the nuns kind of use the perfume and push all of the pots of perfume into the courtyard. Katara then water bends the perfume and the Shershu is overcome with sense and starts to freak out and can't tell up from down really it seems like and lashes out with his tongue a couple times hitting Zuko and June. I think this is actually the first time this is where I make the note. This is actually the first time we hear June's name because Iroh goes June no and uncle catches her. The Shershu scrambles over the wall of the abbey and like kicks open another thing of perfume just to really add insult to injury. <laughs> And yeah. it's just gone. I feel so bad for Nyla. I don't. Oh my God, I do. Just, Nyla's just think not about very it. Nice. No, Nyla, Nyla's not nice, but I'm also the kind of person who cannot stand any harm coming to animals in movies. Even if they're like evil wolves who are trying <laughs> to eat the protagonist, I'm like, no, if they get hurt, I'm going to cry. Yeah. I think I feel bad for Nyla just because for a creature who has a sense of smell, as powerful as his that must be so painful to have like gallons and gallons of perfume just in your face and up your nose yeah i mean it would be painful even if i didn't have like or i don't have super i, I phrased that weird it, i was gonna say it, it would feel weird it would be like horrible even if i didn't have super smelling senses but i don't yeah. have super selling senses and that's what that sentence leads on so i don't know whatever <laughs> take that as you will yeah but yeah, anyways, it's I guess I guess I kind of feel bad for the for the poor thing because June is not a great owner to begin with. She's not very nice to Nyla in this episode in the I almost wonder if there was like feedback that was given to this episode, because in the next episode where we see June and Nyla, she's like really smooshy and lovey towards Nyla. Really? Because this episode, she just whips the poor thing every chance she can get. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're, they're, you're probably right. There probably was some sort of like focus group or something. We're just like, <laughs> why is she so nasty? Animal cruelty. Anyways, uh, Zuko looks at his uncle who is passed out underneath June and notes that he didn't see Iroh get hit by the tongue of the sure shoe. Iroh opens an eye, shushes his nephew, which is really creepy. Oh, boy. Well, it's not your finest moment, pal, but. Uh, I guess I can forgive you. I don't know. Yeah. I I think what this comes down to is this is 2005. Yeah. 
this yeah, is that's a good point. This might be the most dated reference or like exchange in the show, which is otherwise very timeless with its themes and the way that it handles different topics. This is almost just like, I don't know. When you boil it down, this is still a man taking advantage of a woman in some way, which yeah. rubs me the wrong way. I think they tried to put in some jokes for the parents that are also watching with the kids, but like they don't land well in this day and age. 15 years later, they definitely yeah. don't land well. Thankfully, not many, though, yes. from what I've seen. Like this yeah. is the rare one off. And then the rest of them are just in good fun because oftentimes the jokes will be influenced by the world and the world feels timeless because it's self-contained. Anyways. Okay. So we're almost at the end. As the sun sets, Team Avatar is riding on Appa and they're wondering where to next or Aang is at least wondering where to next. Katara says that they're going to the North Pole and Sokka agrees. They have lost too much time. While they want to see their father again, Aang is family too, and right now, Aang needs them more than their father does. Aang reveals to Katara that he got her necklace back and jokes that Zuko asked Aang to make sure that it was returned to her. Katara laughs and says, oh, that's so sweet of Zuko. Could you give him a kiss for me when you see him? And then she plants a nice smooch on Aang's cheek and causes him to blush, which is adorable. It is adorable. And another little tick mark to... Yes. The, the Zutara shippers who are keeping track. Yep. Mm-hmm. Katara jokes about giving Zuko a kiss, but then gives a kiss to her canon love interest, Aang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I need to say at this point that Dante Bosco, who voices Zuko, is a Zutara shipper himself. Like, true. unapologetically, all in, Zutara ship 24-7, owns a shirt Mm-hmm. Recently, there was a TikTok of him that Greg showed me where he's wearing mm-hmm. a Zutara ship shirt. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm a Zutara yeah. shipper. I mean, I feel like also his opinion is biased, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But anyways, they fly off into the sunset. And that is the end of the episode. Yay. Yay. Katara has her necklace back. Finally, it took how many episodes from imprisoned to now? I know. I know. It's a lot. And it's so many that I forgot she lost it and thought she had it back. I'm doing a count. 10 episodes ago, Whoa. her necklace was taken. Jeez. All right. Well, she got she has it back, so everyone can can breathe easy. So now, Acorn, I got to yes. know, who is your MVP of this episode? I, I swear, if you say Iroh, I'm just getting up and leaving right now. That's <laughs> no, it. I'm not going to say Iroh. <laughs> I hope you don't say Iroh. I'm not going to say Iroh, no. <laughs> the one episode where I'm not even going to joke that it's Iroh, it's just not Iroh. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say Bato. Yeah, I, I feel think like, I agree. yeah, the episode obviously sets it up for Bato to be the MVP. It is named after him, after all. Yeah, that's but true. I think for good reason, because in the lives of Katara and Sokka, they've lost their father for two years to the war. And I would argue at a very impressionable time, especially for Sokka, because he's going through puberty. He's getting he's getting to the point where he's starting to think of himself as a grown up or at least a young man. And so he was missing that influence for a long time. And as we saw, the majority of the tribe is just old women, women and children. And so he's the oldest. And so to have Bato give him this rite of passage that he's undoubtedly been looking forward to for so many years, just as like a kind gesture, like, you know, your father's not here. I know that he would want to be here to do this for you. But since he can't, 
I'm going to take care of that for you because you are a man of the tribe and you deserve this. And I will be here to witness this important moment in your life. Like that's so, that's so nice. As suspicious as I am of Bato for no reason. And I don't (laughs) know why I'm just like, I look at him. I'm just like, I don't know about you, pal. I don't know why. I really don't know why. That's so interesting. It's just like, anyways, I I think I agree because he is like being a father figure in this to not his children he mm-hmm. is kind and fair and like even tries even tries to get Sokka to listen to the benefit of the doubt essentially from Aang yeah uh, yeah I agree it's I think it's Bato if like also if I were to choose just to choose something different so we're not both Bato I would probably say Appa because it's the first time we saw Appa fight and true yes he did an amazing job yes he did yeah fluffy boy can kick some butt all right what is your moral of the episode I did not. I'm going to be honest. I did not think about this, so I'm not prepared. (laughs) I think the the moral of the episode is actually pretty obvious. And we talked about we mentioned it in our sign off from last week. Do you you want to go first? I think. Yeah, I think honestly, the moral of the episode is family is deeper than blood. That's that's a great moral. And I think while the circumstances of this show are not some of the circumstances you would find in our world, the fact that Aang was brought into the Southern Water Tribe and especially Katara's and Sokka's family, that's such a nice sentiment and it's such a nice reminder that you can make your family. You don't have to just stick with the people that you were born into by blood. And especially in sometimes our world, there are a lot of really crappy circumstances with people Mm -hmm. and they have to build their own family of supportive, kind, loving individuals who appreciate them for who they are. And so I think that's a really important moral of the story to just know that family is who you make it to be. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great moral. All right. And with all of that being said, that's going to be all of the time that we have for this week. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank everyone for continuing to join us through our discussions and adventures as we talk about this wonderful show that we all know and love called Avatar The Last Airbender. As a reminder, I know everyone already knows this, but as a nice little reminder, if you do decide to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read that five-star review on the show. So you can look forward to that. If you don't use Apple Podcasts, if you use Spotify, for example, or any other podcast listening platform, I will say this, five-star reviews that are sent via Angmail absolutely count 100% and we will also read those on the show and you can email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or you can even tweet at us at podcast avatar um, there's so many ways to get things read on the show yeah so. shout out to Tommy for being our first five star review submitted via email Thank hey you, Tommy. thanks Tommy that's awesome and remember if you're caught up on episodes and want to hang out with me a little bit more, you can do so over at twitch.tv forward slash boostergreg every Monday and Friday night. Now, I realized I was saying 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for everyone, but I can usually not wait. So sometimes I'm also live at 8 p.m., which gets you a 30 minutes <laughs> more of time to hang out and chat. 30 minutes more, Greg. Yes, please. Before I plug my stuff, I do want to give everyone a reminder slash awareness that We are five episodes away from the end of book one, fam. Oh, man. That is exciting. But otherwise, I am Acorn Bandit, and you can find me over on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and also online at Joy-San Studio. 
So you can find me at joysons.com. That's J-O-I-S-A-N-S, where I create enamel pins. And don't forget, we have our Appa pin giveaway live right now. You can check it out if you go over to our Twitter account at Podcast Avatar. We're going to be keeping you updated on the giveaway and also our winners. But we're going to be pulling our first winner next yes. week. Yes, live so on the podcast. Mm. So tune in, go, go enter when you hear this episode. We hope that you've otherwise entered for the giveaway, but we're going to be pulling our first live winner next week on the 21st of August. So good luck, everyone. Good luck. Coming up next time. The easiest way to disguise yourself at a fire festival. And firebending boot camp. Oh, oh boy. boy. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 